All right, well, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Oh, you know what? I just didn't realize this. Have we said Merry Christmas yet on Sunday morning? Oh, man, I blew it. Merry Christmas. All right, good job. No one said bah humbug. That would be an awful start. You can't say bah humbug in church. Okay, uh, Merry Christmas. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. But, but Christmas is one of the most wonderful times of the year. It's a time that's filled with, with generosity and family time and making memories. And it's also full of nostalgia, right? Like tons and tons of nostalgia. And each year, it feels like we add another layer of nostalgia on top of the previous year's good feelings and good memories. We just keep adding layer after layer after layer after layer. It, it can become a very awesome and powerful thing. But, but what we're trying to do here on Sunday mornings is kind of hit pause and make sure that we as a people do not confuse nostalgia with worship. It, it would be really easy for us to enjoy all the good feelings of Christmas. And nostalgia is good. I'm not saying that's bad. But I'm saying nostalgia does not equal worship. It, it's different. It's a different thing. Nostalgia is all the good feelings of the memories that you have. But worship comes out of awe and amazement out of who Jesus is. You can have warm, fuzzy feelings about Jesus all Christmas long and never worship him. So we want to take time as followers of Jesus to not just rush through this. We want to hit pause and consider who this Jesus is and what it is that he did at Christmas. So, so last week, we're in, the, we're in the book of John. We're in John chapter 1. And last week, we saw that John said that Jesus, okay, this is the crazy part. He said that Jesus is the eternal creator God. He's huge. He's powerful. He's in control. And that this powerful God came as a baby. A baby. Like, I don't know if you remember, if you were here, I brought up a little five-week-old little Boaz. He, he's not here today. Uh, he's with his mom, so you don't get to see cuteness again. So, sorry, everybody. He's with mom, chilling with her right now. Um, but this little baby, like, it, it was this crazy thing to actually see a baby, right? We, we saw a cute, cuddly, cooing little baby. And what we're saying at Christmas is that that cute, age-type baby, that little baby came as God. Let me, let me read to you what we said last week. Let's look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Brain melt right there, okay? But I'm not going to melt it again. We did that last week. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That's what we saw last week. Like we, we saw last week this, this unbelievable, like the bigness and hugeness and humility of God to come as a baby. Now, now if you were thinking, uh, and, and maybe, maybe it was just me, maybe you were good, but as I, even as I was saying it last week, even as I prepared it last week, even as I thought about it again this week, there were these little doubts that started to pop into my mind, right? These moments saying, wait, oh, we're saying that God became a baby? Like, like the eternal God who existed before, and we're saying that he came as this cute, weak, fragile little baby? It's just, it's too, it almost sounds too outlandish. It's, it's just too unremarkable. Can, can I say it that way? 
like it's, it's too common to, to see a baby and to sit there and say, this is God himself clothed in flesh. It's, it's so normal, uh, the baby is so normal, so average, it's outlandish to think that that's deity. And, and listen, it, if that was popping into your head, I want you to know that, that you're in good company because that's the exact issue that all of the people of Jesus' time had. They would meet Jesus and he was normal, and he was regular. He wasn't amazing. Like, he didn't walk into the room, and everyone was like, whoa. Did you feel the electricity when he walked in the room? Like, like, he walked in, you didn't notice. He was common and average and regular. There was, there was nothing beautiful about him. That's what the prophet Isaiah says. Look at what it says in John chapter 1, later on in this chapter, verse 10. It says that this God, this creator of everything, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. He was right there. But he was so common and so regular, so average looking. You, they couldn't get past the norm, the, how normal he was to hear the things that he was saying or to believe the miracles that he was doing. It, it, was, it was just too common the way he looked. It, so they didn't know him. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. They, they were... They rejected him. He didn't just come to complete strangers. He came to people who were looking for a coming Messiah. And he came, and he was too common and too average, and they totally rejected him. Listen, here's what I want all of us to hear as, as we're about to wade into the next part of this series, and it's this. Um, it's really easy, especially at times like Christmas, to get really used to who Jesus is. Like, we're used to the lights, we're used to the presence, we're used to the warm, fuzzy songs, and, and what can happen if we're not careful. If we're not careful, is he's so common that when you actually meet the real Jesus, you miss him, or worse, you reject him. My, my fear for us, my, my concern for us as we're wading into this series is that for years, for decades, We've been worshiping Jesus, and we've got used to him, and we're, we're comfortable with him. We, we like the picture of Jesus in a manger. It makes us feel good. We might even like the message of the cross, but, but when we, we miss the real Jesus because we've gotten comfortable with him. Like the good news has become common. His deity is just, yeah, nah. <laughs> Right? It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't cause awe in us. We don't marvel at him. We're not amazed by his kindness and his grace and his mercy. And I'm afraid that if we're not careful, we will miss Jesus because we just got used to him. We grew up in church and we just get used to him. So let's not miss him today. So I want you to join me as we look at the very next verse in John chapter 1, verse 4. Okay, so he's been saying that this Jesus was, he was in the, he was the word, he was with God, he was God, he made everything. And then verse four, he says this, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. He also says this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, so here's John, he says a statement about Jesus, he says two things. Now when Jesus came, he was God, but he was life and he was light. We're not going to look at both of those today, we're just going to look at that very first one where it says that he was life. Now, now listen, when, when I first read that, my initial instinct was to say, okay, what does he mean when he says that he was life? And, and 
if you're not careful, you'll run past it. I thought, oh, may, maybe I'm thinking because he's creator, if he's life, then what that means is he gave life to everything. Like every bird has life, every fish has life, every person has life, every dog has life, every plant has life. He gave life to everything. If you're not careful because of the creation part, you would say, oh, it's saying he's creator, he made everything alive. But that doesn't make sense because of the next part of that verse in verse 4. He said, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. It, it doesn't make sense. John's shifting to something else here. And I think the answer is later on in John chapter 1. What is this life that Jesus was giving? Look at verse 11 of John chapter 1. I'm sorry, not verse 11. It's verse, uh, verse 12. He says this. We looked at it earlier, he came and they rejected him. But he says this, verse 12, but to all who, who did receive him, the ones who didn't reject him, they received him. They believed in his name. In other words, they believed in his character and who he said he was. For those who did receive him, who did believe in his name, he gave the right, or that word can best be, also be understood, the ability to become children of God, who were, look at this word, born. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this. Listen, when Jesus came, when he says he gave life, I, I skip down there to verse 12 and 13 where he talks about, listen, for those who received him and believed in him, he let them be born. Like this is a big deal. I connect born with life. Here's what he's saying. Jesus brought life and you can be born by him. And you're born not by your blood. That means not by your heritage. doesn't matter if you grew up a Jew that doesn't mean you have this life that he's giving. doesn't matter if you grew up in the church. doesn't matter if you were baptized. It doesn't matter if you went to Christian school your whole life. None of that matters. It's not your heritage that makes you alive. It's not your blood. It's not, it says this, the will of the flesh. It's not your own desires to make it happen. It's not that all of a sudden you just said, you know what, I've got this big desire for God, so now I'm, I'm born, now I'm alive. No, your own desires didn't make you born. The will of man, it wasn't my own good choices building up to it. Because I said, you know what, I'm going to be good, I'm going to live a better life. My, my good choices didn't make me come alive. It says this in verse uh, 13, it's not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, so whatever this life is, here's what he's saying. You don't produce it. God produces it. God gives it. He makes you alive. So, so what is this life? I think John is saying that Jesus gives us spiritual life. He says it over and over and over again in the book of John. Let me, let me highlight a few for you. John chapter 3, famous story. He's talking to Nicodemus. This is the one that ends up at all the football games, right? John chapter 3, verse 16. But look at verses 6 and 7. He's talking to Nicodemus, says, Nicodemus, you, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, bro, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, born a second time? Like, he doesn't get it because it doesn't make sense. Verse 6, he says this, that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. There's a spiritual birth that you have to have. And then he says in verse 7, do not marvel, I said, you must be born again. Don't be shocked at this. This is the... This is what you need. You need life, John. He even says in verse 16 that we get it. That's why God sent his son into the world. Or, or John chapter 4. John's, Jesus meeting with a woman at the well, and she's at this well, and he asks her for water, and then they get in this conversation. If you grew up in church, you know these verses. Verse 13, look at what Jesus said. Jesus said to her, 
Everyone who drinks of this water, this water in this well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. And look at this next phrase. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Well, what's this picture that Jesus is saying here? He says, listen, like, like what, what you need is, is I'm offering you something that goes inside of you. It becomes alive inside of you. I, I couldn't help but think of this. Uh, just about every day I drive in here, and right over here on this side of the campus, I don't know if you saw it coming in, you can see it now that the leaves are falling. There's like this nasty swamp there. Have you all seen that coming in? Okay, half of you have it. I'm glad if you haven't because it's disgusting. If you peer through all the bushes, you will see this green layer of like slime. and It's just, it's just gross because it's water and it just sits there. It just sits there and it's stagnant. It's unmoved. It has no life. It may have, may have fish. It may have gators. I don't know. It definitely has ducks that come in. But that water is nasty. I don't want to drink that water. I don't want to bathe in that water. We're not going to do a baptismal service in that water because it's slimy and nasty. It's nothing but dead. Like it just looks gross, right? Because it's not, it's not a living spring. But if you visited Wakulla Springs, any of y'all been to Wakulla Springs? Okay, it's this huge spring. Apparently it gives off 64.6 million gallons of water a day. From somewhere deep in the earth, I, maybe they've tracked it. I didn't Google that much information on it. I just know from deep within, there's this water constantly coming in over and over and over and over and over and over. And it doesn't need water from the outside. It's got water from the inside coming out. And it's alive and it's vibrant. It's not slimy and, I mean, I guess the slime could be life, but it's not the good kind of life. And Jesus is saying, listen, what I'm offering you is not stagnant water that sits there. I'm offering you something inside that, that comes alive. It's a spring. And it's constantly flowing and giving life to you. Listen, what Jesus said he was doing is he was coming to give us something on the inside that was alive. He didn't come to give us tradition. He didn't come to give us nostalgic feelings on Christmas. He came to give us life that we don't have. Like this, he talks about it over and over and over again. John 10, 10, he says this, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That doesn't mean rich. He didn't say, I came to have life that you would have a whole lot of money and nice cars and a big house. He wants to give you life on the inside, and it's life that's abundant and amazing and living and overflowing. John 14, he says this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says it over and over and over again in John. He's always saying, I give life, I give life, I give life. So we see him, see, we see him saying this all the time, and Here's the next question I'm asking, because I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, so stick with me in your brain if the logic can stick with you. Jesus is saying, John's saying, Jesus came to give us life. And over and over again, he says, I'm giving you life. I'm giving you life. I'm giving you life. And I'm asking this question, well, why do I need life? I get that, that's the question I'm asking. You wouldn't be asking that, but that's where my brain went. I started asking this question, well, why do I need life? I feel pretty good. I mean, apart from the head cold, I feel good. Like, I can have a real happy life. I mean, that's, one of the, that's part of the American dream, right? We get to pursue life and happiness. Like, I feel happy. 
I feel good. As a matter of fact, in Christmas, I feel just dandy. I actually don't feel like I need Jesus. I've got a good job, a good family, a good house. Why do I need life? I've got a pretty good life right now. Well, I started chewing on that and flipped over to Ephesians chapter 2. Listen, I know I'm flipping all over the place. Just stick with me. Because Paul lays out for us why we need life. I want you to see this. This is what the Bible says about this, about us, you and me. Even pastors need this. Verse 1, he says, and you were dead in the trespass and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the other spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So, so here's what Paul's saying. Listen, we were dead. We, we were dead in sins and violations of God's commandment. We, we were dead on the inside. And he was saying, well, I, don't, I don't feel dead. I, I, I felt alive. I didn't feel like I was dead before I placed my trust in Jesus. Well, well, listen, as you keep reading this, it becomes pretty shocking to me that he's not saying you're dead to everything. He's saying you're dead to God. You, you can't feel him. You can't respond to him. You are totally unmoved by who God is and what he does. does. You're just straight dead is the word that he uses. Verse 2, he says this as he's talking about it. When he says dead, he says it's not that you're not following anyone. You were walking in it. You followed this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air. Like You, you were doing all these things. Look at verse 3. It, it doesn't mean that you weren't doing anything spiritual. But verse 3 says you also had a whole lot of passions for a dead person. They were just bad passions. It says this in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Look at this description. That death, you're doing spiritual things. You're following the world. You're following the, the prince of the power of the world. You're doing spiritual things, but you're dead. And, and you have desires, like strong desires and passions. They're just not good desires and passions. You think they're good. You think they're pleasing. You think they're satisfying. So the problem is this. You don't feel dead when you're spiritually dead. You feel fine. You have desires and urges. You have things that you think are going to make you happy that you're pursuing all the time. And we do all sorts of things whenever we're dead, to mask the death that's inside of us. We try to distract ourselves, right? That, that's why we have so much entertainment stuff. You can distract yourself for weeks on end with Netflix and Hulu and Disney+. And you can never feel anything ever again apart from entertained. Like YouTube has an endless plethora of amazing demonstration videos. You can learn whatever you want on YouTube. Listen, we will distract our inner inside agony and the death in us and the rottenness. We can distract ourselves with all sorts of stuff. Or, or we try to numb ourselves to the pain of it all. And we try to make ourselves numb to these moments where you might try to self-medicate. You might try to do all sorts of things to make yourself feel numb. Or maybe you try to do things that give you pleasure to make that numbness just go away for just a little bit longer. So you try to find satisfaction in things like sex or pornography or relationships. Or you pull yourself, maybe not into bad things, into really good things. You say, listen, I, I, 
I, I'm not, I, I don't, can't face the fact that I might be dead. I, I can't face the fact that I'm numb on the inside, so I'm going to throw myself into my kids. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to make it all about them. My little, perfect, precious angels are going to get everything from me. And for a while, apart from the sleepless nights, they'll make you super happy. Like literally, you can feed yourself and mask the inside death for decades chasing after your kids. But they graduate. And, and marriages, man, you can try it in marriage, but if you've been married for more than a month, you know pretty quickly that's not an all-satisfying thing, is it? If we're honest, marriage is an awful place to try to find satisfaction and mask the numbness of death inside. But what do we do? No one knows we're dead. We look good. We act good. We throw ourselves into our marriage. We might even show up at church all the time. We can be deacons and Sunday school teachers. We can serve. Everything about us on the outside can look clean. We can look religious and good. We can tell you how Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But the entire time what's happening inside of us is death. Jesus didn't come to give us death. He came because we were dead. Look at what it says in verse 4. This is what Jesus is doing at Christmas. Now, I want to remind you as I read this, our job right now, my goal is for us to have something to worship Jesus for at Christmas. Last week he was God. This week, look at what he does. He gives life. In John chapter, or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, he says this, but God... He, he saw us dead, and he decided that he was going to act. And his action was he sent Jesus. Right? We're dead. We don't want to hear from him. We don't want a relationship with him. We want what we want. And God sees us in that state, and Jesus shows up. Look at how it describes it. He's rich in mercy. Man, it, like you would think that a whole bunch of people that tell God to shove off, let me do what I want, you think he would show up in wrath. He'd be rich in wrath. He'd be justified in condemning us all. And instead, when Jesus shows up, he shows up as a baby rich in mercy. Him coming was an, a display and him communicating mercy to every single one of us in this room. He showed us mercy. We, we couldn't help ourselves, and he showed up to help us. He was rich in mercy. Instead of judgment, he brought mercy for us. What else it says in verse 4? Because of the great love with which he loved us. He showed up and did this because he loves you. And he didn't love you because you performed well. You were dead. He didn't love me because I had my act together. I, listen, my act may have been together, but on the inside, I was dead. He, he showed great love for us. And I hope you hear that today. Like I have no idea. Christmas can be a really dark time for people. It could be a time when the darkness weighs in heavy. Right? Whilst everyone else is going on happily and loving life, Sometimes we can sit there and wallow in sin or broken marriages or lost relationships. Like you can feel this weight of all your shame and guilt and no presence make it go away. At night when you lay on your bed, you're stuck with yourself. and You can feel the shame. It almost crushes you. 
And at Christmas, the message is that God is rich in mercy and he loves us, loves us even though we are dead. That's good news. He didn't just leave us there. He didn't just love us dead, saying, I love that dead person. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive. And that's what he did. Like, his whole reason of coming was to give us life. Like, not just eternal life, life on the inside. I, I need you, I want all of you to hear this. I want all of you to hear it. Because church can't make you alive on the inside. Jesus does that. And, and my fear for some of us is Jesus is someone we pray to. He's someone that causes us to give gift, gifts at Christmas. He's someone that causes us to give Easter eggs and candy at Easter. And we get used to, we get, we, we get satisfied with being dead on the inside. We never stop and ask the question, has he made me alive? But my concern for us this Christmas is that you'd be going through all the motions year after year after year after year, and there's never been a moment that he woke you up and you feel hollowed out on the inside. Maybe not at church. You feel all right at church because you can put the mask on. But there's nothing alive inside of you. That, that's not what Jesus came to bring. He came to give us life. So my question for you is, do you have life today? Or do you have religion? There's a difference. One makes you clean and damns you to hell forever. The other one, well, it cleans you, but it makes you alive on the gives you life. And despite your failures and your shortcomings and your weaknesses, you're reminded over and over and over again that there's a God who loves you, who's rich in mercy towards you, and he's making you new. And it gives you life on the inside. And it gives you life forever. Man, in a church, we can really fill ourselves up with a whole lot of people who have religion but don't have life. The other thing is this. I mean, look, look back at Ephesians chapter 2. There's something else that he says here that I think is really, really awesome. Look at what it says in verse 7. Why is it that he made us alive? Verse 7 tells us that. So that in the coming ages, here's his plan. He wants to make us alive so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Like he didn't just save us to make us alive. He saved us to make us alive so that for all of eternity he can show you kindness over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And when you think he's run out of kindness, he's got a whole lot more left and he's going to show you more kindness after kindness after kindness after kindness. And it's not because we're good. It's because we were dead and he made us alive. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to be born to live a perfect life and die on a cross so that we could get life. That that's what he gives us, church. And not just life in heaven. Life in us now and eternal kindness forever in heaven with him. That's what he offers. So church, today, here, here's the call. Here's the way I want you to respond. Response number one, just worship him. 
Like this Christmas, when you think about Jesus in a manger, I don't want you to think about God in a baby. I want you to think about people that are dead, and he came to give you and me life. Like, like real life on the inside. Listen, I, I want you just to remember that and worship him. But the other thing I want, I, I just want you to feel loved by him. Like, like, like loved and not because like you earned the love. Like this Christmas, I, I just want you to take moments not just to stand in awe of him, but I just want you to let him just, let yourself feel his love for you. Are, are you okay doing that? Does that feel kind of weird to some of y'all? To say, okay, what I'm going to do this Christmas, I'm, I'm just going to let, I'm going to feel loved by him. Like, I think sometimes in church we're great with awe. I'm great with being in awe of him. But I know what I did last week. I know what I thought yesterday. And he said, no, no, the love is not found in my performance. It's found in Jesus. And I'm telling you that the Bible says, the gospel says, that he loves you because of Jesus, not because of you. So don't just worship him and be in awe of his kindness. I want you to feel loved by him. Even though you feel like you shouldn't be loved by him. He shouldn't love any of us, but he does. Like if you're feeling dark, if you're feeling broken, if you're feeling shame, if you're feeling guilt, my reminder is that because of the work of Jesus, when you place your trust in him, he replaces all of that with love. The other thing is, listen, I want you to enjoy the life that he gives. Like don't accept feeling hollowed out. So I want us to worship him for his kindness. I want you to feel love. But I actually want you to experience the life that he intended for you to have. The eternal life welling up in you. The joy. The peace. Right? The happiness that Jesus gives us on the inside. Those moments when you, you feel like you open up the word and you feel like he talks to you and your heart begins to beat fast. That moment that you're driving to go Christmas shopping and traffic is crazy and you can't find a parking spot, but some song comes on the radio and it reminds you about the kindness of Jesus. Like I want you to enjoy the life that comes up, not because the song created it, because Jesus in you created it. When you're around the dinner table with your family, whether it's dysfunctional or great, I don't want you just to enjoy nostalgia of Christmas. I want you to have this moment where you're like, man, he, he died for me and I get... Life on the inside. I want you to worship him this Christmas season. I want you to be alive. I don't want you to stop chasing after other sources of life and satisfaction. I promise you there is no present under your tree that will give you satisfaction and life like what Jesus is offering here. None of it. There's no Christmas present with a bow in your garage that can show up no matter how nice it is that's going to give you the type of life inside that Jesus is talking about. None of it. There's no amount of kids running down the steps, screaming with glee, and ripping the paper off the presents that will give you the type of life that Jesus is talking about here. I'm not saying those things aren't good. I'm saying Jesus is better. He's better. And there should be something in us where our heart beats fast and we stop chasing after those things as the source of life and satisfaction. We go after him as the only source of life and satisfaction. And one last way I want you to respond. I know I gave like six of them. 
For some of you, you don't have life because you've never actually placed your trust in Jesus. You may have been religious, you may not. I, I don't know everyone's story here, but I, I know this, that the way we get life is right there in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says this, it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. I, I'm saved by grace through faith. It's not a result of works. The way I get saved is that I place my trust in Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, and I believe that he came to life three days later, and I just simply say, God, I'm done with this, and I want you. I trust you, not me, I trust you. I'm asking you to save me and clean me and make me a son or daughter. That's the way you get saved. And it says that when we do that, he gives us life. Listen, for some of you today, maybe the thing that God's calling you to is that you need a moment where you actually place your trust in him. Here's what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to guide us in a time of response. I'm going to ask Brother Steve to come up. He's going to play the piano in the background. And, and here's what I want you to do. Right there in your seat, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I just want you to take a moment. We're not going to drag this out for very long, but I want you to take a moment just to consider what Jesus would have said to you. And during this time, as the music plays, if you want to pray at the altar, you can. If you need to speak to someone, we'll be down front. But, but this is the time right now as this music plays where, where you can respond. And you can respond in your seat with worship. You can respond just by feeling loved and praying with Jesus about that. You can respond by repenting of chasing other things. Or maybe for you, the thing that you're responding with is you're just going to place your trust in Jesus right there in your seat. As this music plays right now, now's the time for you to do business with God right there in your seat. I'm going to close us in prayer here. If you need to speak with one of us, we'll be available after the service. So I want to remind you before I pray that, that every time we hear God's word, we want to learn how to respond to him, either in worship or in gratitude or repentance or in action. Whatever he calls you to do through his word, make sure you obey him. Don't just be, doer, don't just be hearers of the word. We want to teach us to be doers as well. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I pray you would do a work in us that we'd be in awe of you, that we'd worship you, 
this Christmas season, and not just because as God you came and took on flesh as a baby. God, I pray, I pray we would worship you because you give life. God, I pray we'd be a people that would have real life on the inside. And God, help us to peel away all the distractions and all the other false sources of joy and life. And I pray we'd be a people that would run to you and you alone. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.